the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. We're glad to have you with us on that, on this Monday. Hey, when this music starts, I just get I get geared up. I'm ready to go. You're geared up? Yep, this music just does it for you, right? It does something to a gear <laughs> involving a gear. <laughs> ready to roll. Well, we're happy to have you join us. Hope you, hopefully you had a great weekend. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. Uh, Twitter at Common Good Talk. That's at Common Good Talk. Uh, you can always use your phone to call us. Which Hold is a bit on. crazy. How would you do that? Is there like a phone app you that I need? <laughs> <laughs> I've got my phone. I'm looking for the yeah, calling walk app. Walk me through the step by step, Brian. From <laughs> use the number three one two six six zero two five nine four three one two six six zero two five nine four. And you can podcast us wherever it is you get your podcast. We are uh, always excited for those of uh, those of you who tell us that you listen. Uh, via podcast, via 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 podcast. I wasn't going to say anything. Is it via? I is I, it both? But didn't I admit like two weeks ago? Foyer is in my repertoire, <laughs> so I don't know. Via I don't know podcast, that I have authority there. Via podcast, I think I'm going with you. Can do both on that one. Oh, I'm sure you can <clears throat> do both. I would say via. Okay, via podcast, and uh, <laughs> you can go ahead and uh, go ahead and subscribe, rate, review, tell your friends, share it. Uh, that helps us, and we're excited for those of you. Who do that and who just listen to the podcast. Thank you for doing that. Well, uh, here we go on a Monday. <laughs> here we go. Here we go. Uh, <laughs> you you uh, you do, so aptly point out that for peace uh, for for preachers and pastors, I just combined the two for pastors, <laughs> which is what priesters, priesters, <laughs> for, hey, priester Brian. <laughs> for pastors. Monday is a bit of a fog uh, fog day in your head, just kind of like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that always makes the show a little interesting. So <laughs> yeah, interesting is one word. <laughs> so uh, the football season started yesterday. Uh, for the Bears fans, it started back on Thursday. Or from probably for Bears fans, it's starting next Sunday after the way Thursday went. But, <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Uh, but my team got <laughs> annihilated yesterday. It's nice uh-huh. that by halftime of the first game when you're like, my team stinks. <laughs> it's over. You're like, I guess my evening just freed up. Man, I'm, a, I'm a New York Giants fan, and my son and I, were, we got so excited. We're watching the game against the Cowboys. Giants score first. We're like, oh my goodness, this is we're going to get the upset. And the next four possessions, the Cowboys went straight down like they were playing against the high school team. And we're like, well, <laughs> season's over. There we go. Did you finish the game? Yeah. Oh, you do. You, even did. if it's a train wreck, you're like, all right, well, let's see this. Probably again. because it's the first game. But yeah. literally, there was a, I, there, it's funny. There was a point about the fourth quarter. I turned to my son. I go, I feel like we just have to keep watching because we're waiting all this time for it to start. <laughs> so you, like, you neither of us this, were talking. We're just kind of staring. This became like an object lesson. You're like, son, 
This is a lesson in perseverance right now. This is we're going to continue be- watching this game, even though we're both miserable. Son, this is what it means to be a fan. Dad, I hate football. <laughs> you were going to sit there right now. You're, you're quoting him like people will hate you on account of me. Like, <laughs> Son, at times the Christian life would be like watching this Giants game. You sit there and own it. <laughs> Seeing this team get crucified right now, let me tell you about a guy named Jesus. <laughs> Uh, that's funny. There were prophets in the Old Testament, yeah, and, right. and then there are Giants fans <laughs> who were not so, profiting. Hey, oh, I was listening to a radio uh, podcast on the way up about the football season, and, this, and there was literally a guy who said, "I feel like the only team we can write off is the New York Giants." I was like, "Come on!" Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, but speaking of football, one of the most famous football players out there, Drew Brees. You might have seen this last week. Uh, kind of went around uh, the news cycle. Drew Brees. Uh, he is uh, one of the best quarterbacks statistically of all time. He plays for the New Orleans Saints. Uh, ironically, Drew Brees is like a year younger than me. He and is? And he's still like breaking records. Maybe two. I think he's like 40. I'm oh 42. So, uh, But still just doing crazy stuff. He plays tonight. They open on Monday Night Football tonight against the Houston Texans. Mm-hmm. And uh, Brees is also uh, a Christian. He is, a, he is an outspoken believer. And he filmed literally like a 20-second video right. uh, for Focus on the Family the other day. And it, it said this. Uh, it was for something called Bring Your Bible to School Day, which has taken place every year since 2014 and asks students to celebrate religious freedom and share God's love with their friends. Okay. In the promotional video posted by Focus on the Family, uh, Breeze encourages students to participate in the October 3rd event. Here's what his video said. Hey, guys. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is 2 Corinthians 5, 7, for we live by faith, not by sight. So I want to encourage you to live out your faith on bring your Bible to school day and share God's love with your friends. You're not alone. That was the, uh, that was the video. Okay. And uh, I was like, well, okay, that seems nice. Uh, then the backlash started. <laughs> sure. It started coming. Newsweek wrote an article entitled this, Drew Brees, New Orleans Saints quarterback, records video produced by anti-gay group Focus on the Family. Another magazine, NFL quarterback, appears in commercial for anti-gay extremists. Uh, One out of New Orleans said Drew Brees records video for anti-LGBT religious organization. Uh, And so on and so forth. Uh, The magazine started a hashtag called Saints Don't Hate. And uh, it got to the point where Drew Brees then filmed his own Instagram video, kind of backtracking a little bit from it and basically saying, hey, I love everybody. I accept everybody. Trying to quell this down. Uh, And so that... when I saw that, there were I had a bunch of different thoughts about that, but one of them, like, man, uh, there is some, there is some, uh, <laughs> there is some vitriol about focus on the family. When you grow up in the church, you're like, focus on the family. It's like they put out the Sunday school curriculum. They have a show on this station. All this kind of stuff. Uh, there was there was some vitriol around that that got uh, that I, he clearly surprised Drew Brees because his video was uh, was nothing if not really tame. Uh, yeah, his comment on the Instagram post was hopefully this sets the record straight with who I am and what I stand for, love, respect, and accept all. I encourage you not to believe the negativity you read that says differently. It's simply not true. Have a great day. Yep. So I'm curious what has been your experience watching kind of the backlash um, because I imagine you're seeing both sides of the spectrum. Are you seeing people weigh in from both perspectives? I had a good conversation with somebody about this and I said, listen, uh, I may not think that focus on the family is everything people are describing, but you have to understand in our culture, uh, if uh, if you're on 
if you believe that uh, Christians are judgmental and that everything wrong with the world and stuff, you're going to see you're going to hate an organization like Focus on the Family. And so I think what I said was to this person, I said, I'm not surprised by the vitriol. I was uh, I think Drew Brees was. And I'm a little surprised they went after him for like that short video that said, hey, Mm. uh, bring your Bible to school and, you know, be nice to your friends, basically. Uh, but once focus on the family got attached to it, I think this is just going to increase. And I think we as Christians, we can fight that on some level, but really the only great way to fight this is by how we live our lives and understand that our culture is moving in a direction, uh, not towards things like focus on the family, but probably away from things. And we're just going to have to be okay with that and live within that and live out our faith within that. So he says here in another interview, I do not support any groups that discriminate or that have, uh, or that have, that's not correct. Uh, have their own agendas that are trying to promote inequality. So I, I think, I don't know the guy. To be honest, it seems like I was just pro bringing your Bible to school. Yep. Like it's, it feels like that's really all he was going for. And Focus on the Family, I think, has been very clear about their theological positioning. Yes. But even that aside, I, you know, it, it, as best I can tell, there isn't anything about him giving a bunch of money to them. Or, no, it's like literally saying, about this video. This video about this day bringing your Bible. And because yeah. an organization that m- many people maybe disagree with kind of coined the phrase or started the day. Like if he had called it something different and just happened to encourage kids to bring their Bible on that same day, yep. none of this would have happened. No, if it wasn't, it's about focus on the family. Right. And I think that we, I, my takeaway from this is like, wow, okay, this is where we're at as a culture. And uh, we as Christians, it's just helpful to know it, like like yeah. to just know it. And we are called to love people within this setting. And yes, we can f- push back a little bit, but like I don't think all of our energy should be like to fight as hard as we can and call everything a culture war. I think in some levels we go, okay, this now, now we again see the playing field here. How are we going to love? How are we going to be lights uh, for Jesus? How are we going to go about living our lives? I think one of the ways that we love is by listening. Right? Yeah. If we, if you want to throw up your hand and say, oh, gosh, this vitriol is ridiculous. Well, then maybe that's a good opportunity to say, all right, why are people responding so yep. violently? Why do I disagree if that's hitting you in a weird way? Why not ask somebody? Can you talk to me a little bit more about why you're so yep. angry about this? And maybe we can all grow a little bit in understanding. Yeah. It does. Uh, for another day, we'll go with this. But you and I have talked so many times about the whole concept of outrage culture. This is a, yeah. File this one under there as well. Yep. Uh, coming up next, a feel-good story about a boy who made his own college T-shirt, got bullied for it, uh, and then people rallied around them. That's coming up next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AIM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Thanks for joining us on this Monday afternoon. I liked how you uh, referred to it when we first got in here. You called it the Monday, what did you call it, the Mondayest of all Mondays? The Mondayest of Mondays. <laughs> it's just gray, and it was raining yesterday, and yep. it's just rainy today, and it's Monday. You've, got, you've, you've, you've coined some phrases that may not be your own, but they every time you say them, I'm like, yeah, yep, yep, that fits. I think you called our, uh, for pastors, we have this holy hangover. I'm like, it does feel like that. <laughs> I definitely didn't coin that one, that's for sure. Yeah. But I calling what I call these things coined as being way too kind. <laughs> it's just mostly my tired brain. The Monday of Mondayists. <laughs> right, just spitting out whatever comes to mind. Oh, that's funny. Well, you can follow us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, Twitter at Common Good Talk. As always, you can find our podcast wherever it is you find your podcast. And uh, I, it's funny. Do you ever meet the people? There are some people, and you'll see them on Facebook and stuff, who don't – I don't think they know that we're actually on the radio. I think they think we just have a podcast. <laughs> like I've seen some people are like, hey, I really enjoy your podcast. I'm like, 
and radio show? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've been meaning, let's take this time to tell John something. John, I see that a, a lot of times. Oh, he's not even there. In the, see my <laughs> he, back's to the studio. He walked away. <laughs> I'm going to say it to him so that he can hear back later. Because yeah. a lot of times, even in our post, it doesn't say AM 1160 on the Facebook oh, post. Oh, that's funny. It's just the live stream or the podcast link. So maybe that's part of why people are like, oh, well, congrats on a radio thing, too. And like, well, that's kind of the radio same first, thing, actually, yeah. yeah. There was somebody on Facebook the other day like, hey, I'm really enjoying your guys' podcast. I'm like, well, it works for me. <laughs> you don't correct them? You're like, whatever. No, tomato, it was, tomato. Because uh, it had the word enjoyed in there, I was leaving it. It That's was good. Words of affirmation, Brian, right there. <laughs> you good. had me at enjoyed. <laughs> I didn't hear anything beyond you that. Had you just started floating up to the heavens. <laughs> Even if it said, I enjoyed the day they took you off the air. They enjoyed it. <laughs> well, good for them. Good for them. <laughs> Well, we uh, we love to do uh, feel good stories every now and then, and uh, mix them in with the with some of the uh, harder stories of the day. And uh, you found this story; it was at WGN TV, but it was kind of floating all around Facebook. One of those things when things go viral, they go viral, right? And you never can quite tell uh, what kind of stories are going to catch. Uh, and this one was at a boy about a boy who was bullied for a homemade Tennessee shirt uh, and something that the college. Uh, did for them for him. So let me just read a little bit of it. The yeah, story, it. It's great. And then I would love for you to react to it. Uh, a a boy's homemade uh, a boy, a Florida student. Sorry, was obsessed. Florida. I keep thinking it's going to be a bad thing. Right? <laughs> a Florida student obsessed with the University of Tennessee. So they're big rivals, right? Wanted to represent the volunteers during his elementary school's college colors day, but he didn't own any of apparel. So he took the matter into his own hands. Laura Snyder, his teacher, says he drew a UT for University of Tennessee, the university's logo on paper, and pinned it to the orange shirt. So you got a picture. He just kind of, as you would picture in elementary school, making a a block U and a block T and pinned it to a shirt. Exactly how you're picturing it is how it went That's how it looks, right? Uh, When the day finally arrived, he was so excited to show me his shirt. I was impressed, but by lunchtime, the spirited fan was in tears. Some girls at the lunch table next to him parenthetically, it says, who didn't even participate in College Color Day. Come on, guys. Had made fun of his sign that he attached to his shirt, and he was devastated. In hopes of raising his spirit, Snyder said she planned on buying him an official University of Tennessee t-shirt and asked friends if they had contacts with the school who could make it extra special for him. By Thursday, her Facebook post had gone viral among volunteer fans, with lots of people leaving supportive comments. And it wasn't long before the university itself reached out, wanting to send the student a care package full of swag and apparel. You have all taken this above and beyond what I had ever imagined, Snyder wrote. Uh, What's more, and this is the best part right here, ready? What's more, the University of Tennessee said it's turning this little kid's UT design into an official T-shirt. So, and so they're taking his kind of childish UT, and now you could buy a shirt with that exact <laughs> childish uh, UT. According to the university, a portion of the proceeds from every shirt sold will go to an anti-bullying foundation. What kind of a cool story about the power of the Internet? We've kind of bag on the Internet a lot. Uh, the power of social media, but also the the heart of of bullying and all sorts of cool stuff in the story. Well, that's I'm glad you said that because that's part of the reason that I wanted to talk about it because it's I mean it's a great story and it does talk about you know organizations making decisions in the right direction that I appreciate. But I also I feel like it is easy to rag on social media and the internet yep. and the temptation, particularly as pastors, is ever present for us to bag on the ways that we're using or the way that it's you know dismantling society or whatever. But I thought of like the, uh, remember the story a couple years ago of one of the, she was a teacher's aide or something who was getting 
kind of made fun of on the bus ride. Yes. And like that video went viral and someone started oh. to go fund me for her. And that, I mean, the internet responded remarkably and it helped kind of pull her out of debt. So yeah. I remember stories like that thinking, okay, with all the vitriol, mm-hmm. with all the inflammatory arguing, stories like this remind me like, oh gosh, not only are there some good people in the world, there's a lot of good people yes. in the world. And for an organization to say, not only, hey, thanks for this cute thing, kid. Like, no, we're going to, like someone had to create this design and someone then had to begin printing them on yeah, shirts, like good point. an actual monetary investment to say, nah, we're going to take this even further than anyone expected us to in order to kind of show some love to this kid. I don't know. That kind of that kind of investment to me is always inspiring. It's really cool. And the teacher said when I told him that his design was being made into a real shirt and people wanted to wear it, his jaw dropped. He had a big <laughs> smile on his face, walked taller, and I could tell his confidence grew. And later on in the story, it says his mom said, uh, every comment, item sent, and action taken on behalf of my son will never be forgotten oh. and hopefully will serve as inspiration for him throughout his life. And wow. so th- there is part of this story is for parents to be re- reminded again to talk to your kids about bullying. Yeah, like, right. To be honest with you, when I was in elementary school and if a kid came in with a, something attached to a shirt like this, we probably would have made fun oh, of Oh, really? Them, right. And now that See, I have I was a kid getting bullied, so I don't. And now that I have kids that age, I'm like, oh my gosh, like that's really painful. Like you don't even have a, it's just a painful thing. And so for us as parents, you got to remember like, uh, just because maybe we did it in school doesn't mean it's a good thing. Yeah, right. <laughs> and it, it doesn't make them weak to be like, hey, don't like be nice to the kids. No, we want to teach our kids to be nice. And so that's part of the story as well. Like let's. Let's make sure our kids are understanding the damage that, that bullying can you do, even over something right. as seemingly silly as a T-shirt. It devastated the kid. See, this is another opportunity, I think, where I have to give props to my parents because I think homeschooling played a big part in this, to be honest. And and both of my parents, I think, are just remarkable individuals. But I, I remember, so I, I got bullied a good deal. But I remember early huh. on really feeling like, oh, if you don't like what I'm wearing, I don't actually care that much. Mm. And I remember the older I got, realizing people were asking me like how do you how do you just wear that even you know people making fun of you and me just thinking i don't actually care all that much it, like, it just didn't affect me the way that i think it maybe it did a lot of my peers and i credit that a lot to my my parents say hey know who you are and just own it and there's you know and and again i look back on that and like i went through like a you know, a purple hair stage or a ball chain choker stage or uh like, did you really oh yeah all sorts of weird stuff i mean Please yeah. post those pictures to our That's Facebook That's probably page. not a great idea. <laughs> I have some that would probably be, you know, frighten most of our audience. But like that's, we that was just, there was like freedom to, okay, well, he's going through a little weird stage. That's fine. That's a part of a Can kid's expression. You, this is where we just realize how different you and I are like now, but also as kids. Like you just said, I went through a purple hair stage yeah. and a, what'd you say? A ball, ball chain, chain choker. choker. Yeah. Uh, if you look at pictures of me, I basically look like this, just in a younger version. <laughs> I'm basically what you see here, just shrunk down a little bit, a you little chunkier. You know who John Mulaney is? He's got a bit yes. where he goes, um, I don't look older, I just look worse. Like if, <laughs> if people saw me walking, like, oh, that, that tall child looks terrible. <laughs> Every day I look in the mirror and I'm like, this was cute as a kid, but what about now? <laughs> oh, that's really funny. Well. Uh, we, we've got that story up on our Facebook, so we would love for you to interact with it. It's just a cool story. For nothing else, you can see the picture of his design. Yeah, it's uh, awesome. It's really fun. Well, as I mentioned earlier, uh, Ian coined it, or didn't coin it, you said. <laughs> Ian said, uh, for pastors, Monday is a bit of a Monday hangover and uh, a holy hangover. Yeah, and right. so 
Uh, we're going to uh, talk about that a little bit next, but more importantly, uh, we're going to talk about what we do every Monday. What did we preach yesterday? What did we both? We both preached yesterday. What did we talk about? That's coming up next year on The Common Good AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. I like that we're just finding music for certain segments now. Uh, that makes me laugh so much. <laughs> Why? I have no idea. Honestly, I found that. I didn't know that song existed. Yeah. I was like, song with the word preach. <laughs> John Legend showed. I was like, that's that's exactly how I found Grinds My Gears. See, I don't know who it. those guys are. What was their name again? Gorilla Warfare? Well, I, have no idea. Gorilla I have no idea. Vol- it was Gorilla Voltage, wasn't Modest it? Mouse. Was Mo- it Modest okay. Mouse? <laughs> oh, we haven't heard them in a long time. Where did they go? They, they're uh, being modest. Yeah, yeah they, they were getting shy. They kind of moved on. <laughs> oh, getting shy. Well, you and I uh, both preached yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, I preached um, at my church at Four Corners Community Church in Darien. You were at the Yellow Box, right? At Community Christian Church in Naperville. That's right. <clears throat> and uh, so every Monday morning, uh, we like to spend one segment. Just sharing with people what did we preach, and hopefully it serves as an encouragement for people um, and, and here on your Monday. So I'll go first. Uh, last uh, This past Sunday was our last one in a series through First John. So uh, we've been working our way through First John, and uh, to, yesterday was the last one. And uh, I talked about the concept of last words. Like, what would you want to leave uh, if you know, it's a little dark to think about, but if you knew you, you were going to share, you know, you had one more day with your family or your friends or whatever, what's that one thing you'd want to tell them? What's that? Uh, or we talked about, you know, in a, in a jury trial, you, you get closing arguments to give them their last thing. And so I said, kind of how I set up, like John is giving us his last words to this church right here. Like this is his, he's closing the letter. Hmm. Uh, so chapter five, uh, verses 13 through 20, he he goes back to a lot of the things he talked about. He's been talking about the incarnation of Jesus, that Jesus is uh, worthy of to be our foundation and our worship and uh, that it matters how we live our lives. But then it's so weird because chapter, verse 20 feels like it could easily be the end. And then you get to verse 21 and it's the last verse and it feels really random. He introduces something he hasn't talked about in the whole book. It just says, dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Yeah. And you're like. What? Huh. Where'd that come from? Right. In fact, some scholars believe it was added later. I don't, but some do because it because of its randomness. Hmm. And so we spent the whole morning yesterday then talking about idol worship. Uh, that uh, that it actually makes sense that John's talking about this because the day to day struggle against the idols of your culture, if you will, are what take our minds, our eyes off of Jesus, are what takes our worship away from Him. And uh, so tried to define some of the idols of our day. Uh, and talk about why it's such a big deal. So we walk through the Old Testament and what idol worship looked like there, New Testament. You can't talk about idol worship without going counterfeit gods with Tim Keller, right? We went there and uh, tried to drive home because I said to them at the end, I said, you know what, actually, what John is talking about here makes a ton of sense in the end when we realize um, that that this is, uh, that idol worship is such a huge deal. And then I ended with this prayer, <clears throat> excuse me, by John Wesley. John Wesley said, and as the shadows flee before the sun, so let all my idols vanish at thy presence. Mm. That nothing else is meant to carry the weight of our worship, including ourselves. A lot of us worship ourselves and our own self-interest, uh, and that those will fail us. And so just, a, just an encouragement for people to uh, build their lives upon the foundation that's called rock, that is Jesus. And uh, yeah, so enjoyed it. It was a good morning. 
It was the first morning back to two services. So we go to one oh, service in the summer. Oh, got it. Wore me out, man. Tired, tired me out. <laughs> and you wake up, you're like, mm, I hope, I hope we're making the right call here. I hope people are back <laughs> after the summer. But people come back. It was a fun morning. So good to be together. How about you? What'd you do at Community? Well, I'm glad you asked, Brian. You and knew also it was the last of our series. So it looks like we're both starting new series on yeah. the same date. I wonder if that's a church thing. Although I'm going to do kind of a one-off next week and oh, then jump into a look series. At you. What a rebel rally. I know, really. My goodness. All right, so uh, end of a series called How to Bless Your Neighbor. If uh, you're just joining us, the acronym BLESS, B-L-E-S-S, stands for Begin with Prayer, Listen, Eat. Last week we talked about Serve, and then this one was about story, sharing your story. And uh, I talked about that quote that is often falsely attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. You probably know where I'm going with yep, this. Yep. Preach the gospel at all times when necessary, use words. Yep. Which I had to say, I was like, I like that quote because I think it's it's meant to convey yeah. your life should be a testimony. I totally agree with that. But then I said, however, words are also necessary. There yep. will be times that we actually have to open our mouths. So mm. I talked about some of the reasons that I think we avoid sharing our story. There's a, a Ceylonese pastor and evangelist named D.T. Niles. And he said, Christianity is essentially just one beggar telling another beggar where the food is. Yep. And I thought, what a beautiful description. Like, it's not about being some theological expert or having a bunch of letters after your name. Like, yeah. it's just one beggar telling another beggar, mm. hey, there's food and purpose and identity and nourishment here. So we we walked through John 9, and uh, it's a pretty common story of a guy born blind that Jesus spits in some mud and then is healed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But what often isn't talked about then is that he was dragged before the council because— he was making these claims that were making Jesus look pretty awesome. And the Pharisees were not thrilled about that. So they said something like honor God by telling the truth. Uh, We know that this man is a sinner and his response is awesome. He goes, listen, whether he's a sinner or not, I have no idea. What I do know is I was blind, but now I see. Yes. And I said, that's such a, such a beautiful template for how we can share our stories. What was your life like before Jesus? How did you meet Jesus? And how's it been since you've met Jesus? And so I, I spent a lot of time talking about, just the importance of our story and how a lot of, I mean, a lot of people that will say things like, I don't think my story really matters either. Yeah. They find it too boring mm-hmm. or they feel like I've just done too many bad things. Yeah. I'm yeah. like, man, the thing that I love about scripture is God is often showing up in really ordinary people and also in stories that are just catastrophic. Yeah. Like he, he's in the business of using stories like that. So we shared a video of some friends of mine kind of sharing how to walk through uh, sharing your story like that. And we just challenge people to actually write it out. You know, the apostle Peter mm. says, always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have. Like if we're living this out, people will eventually say, what is with you? Like, why, why does your marriage look so different? Or why do you spend your money like this? Or why do you volunteer? Or why yeah. do you like, there should be, if we're actually living the blessed practices, eventually people will say, so what's, what's, what's up with this? Yes. It's actually kind of the, the same as the blind man's story because you know, before he's dragged before the council, a bunch of neighbors are like, wait a minute, isn't this the guy born blind? Yeah. And other people are like, nah, he just looks like him. Like, it's so unbelievable. <laughs> he looks like the blind guy. Right. It's, they just have the same haircut. Yeah. Uh, it's not even, <laughs> but it, the text literally says, no, but he insisted, I am that guy. Yeah. I think when Jesus really kind of wrecks shop in our heart, there will be people like, wait a minute, aren't you the guy back in college that used to, aren't you, aren't you the lady 10 years ago that I saw and so you know what there will be a sort of aha moment I think for people and I I talked about especially even the painful parts right like the most painful part of your story might be the most life-giving part Mm. to someone else's like your heartache could be someone else's hope yeah like your experience could be a page in someone else's survival guide and this idea that 
especially, and I, we were just talking about this, social media, we sort of like present the best version of ourselves, yeah. you know? So what ends up happening is we compare our blooper reel to everyone else's highlight reel, and we give people like a trailer rather than like the whole film. And I said, let's stop. Let's like actually share like mm. the depth, even the messy parts of our story, because ultimately that stuff brings glory to God. And I think that's a scary thing to do. And I admitted it. <laughs> I was like, a lot of people think pastors are, you know, we're exempt from the awkwardness. Yeah. You know, Charles Stanley said, yeah, it's going to be awkward. It's going to be uncomfortable. But think of the joy of celebrating with that person in heaven. Mm. And I thought, what a helpful challenge to like, yeah, it might be strange sitting on the train or you're on a flight and someone asks you about your life. Like yeah. it would, there's a legitimate discomfort there, but to be a people who share a story and not to make much of us, but to make much of God. And I, I, I wrote this this way, just that the courage it takes to share your story might be the very thing someone else needs to open their heart to hope. Yeah. And I think when Paul writes to the church in Rome and he says, how can they hear unless someone tells them? Right. I, I, I ended with that and I, I, I challenged everyone to replace that word someone with their name. Mm. Like how can they hear unless Brian tells them, yep. unless Ian tells them, unless Steve tells them, That's unless good. Amy tells them like it, let's make it really personal that at some point we want our lives to be a testimony, yep. but at some point we're going to have to actually open our mouths. And that's I think, really uh, that's that's a tough thing for me to be honest, which is ironic because we both speak for a living. Yep, but, yep. Uh, but we're yeah. not often speaking about ourselves. That's right. And that's so, exactly right. Uh, a lot of times, there's good buffer. There's a good hiding spot behind the. That's other right. Stuff, so. That's right. Well, that's good. Hopefully, that's helpful for you. Uh, hopefully, you were a part of a church yesterday, and uh, but that's what we did at our churches. Well, speaking of stories, coming up next, uh, just a really heartwarming story I saw over the weekend of a pitcher and something that happened on a baseball mound this week. Uh, this weekend, that's coming up next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Well, alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Thanks for joining us today. Well, I would love to watch SportsCenter in the morning. I was watching SportsCenter the other day, and uh, this story came on, and I was like, man, there's there's so much here. Uh, it's the story of the Washington Nationals pitcher by the name of Aaron Barrett. Let me give you some background leading up to his pitching on Saturday. Uh, let me give you some background. Aaron Barrett was a pitcher uh, in July of 2016 for the Washington Nationals, and he broke the humerus in his right elbow, and this threatened his career. A broken humerus set him on a three-year recovery journey that literally included learning to throw again and to trust his arm again and climbing through the minors again as if he were the kid out of Ole Miss, and a broken humerus. Uh, so so you get the story. He breaks his arm in 2016, and he has a three-year journey of the going, I, I don't know if I can ever pitch again. It's this story of perseverance. Aaron Barrett then finally makes it back to the majors and pitched for the first time on Saturday night against the Atlanta Braves, one of the best teams in all of baseball. Uh, so we've got some audio to listen to what happened in the game on Saturday. Out to left center, Robles tracking it. Aaron Barrett puts a fist into his glove and walks. Gomes is going to greet him just over the third base line and the dugout waiting for him. I tell you, this has to be emotional for a lot of guys wearing red jerseys right now. I think he's finally, it's finally hitting him right now, all the hard work. Told us today his family and his faith got him through it. So grateful to everybody in the Nationals organization and the fans who've expressed their love and support for him. So such a cool story. He goes one, two, three in his first inning. 
I would encourage you to go look up the video. He goes off to everyone going kind of crazy on his dugout, helping him and like hugging him. But he was crying by the time he hit before he hit the dugout. And then there's this surreal thing. He's sitting by himself in the dugout, like weeping, hands mm-hmm. in a towel. And the manager comes over and just puts his arm around him. Like uh, you almost forget that some of these pro athletes are people sometimes. But this guy snapped his arm pitching in a game and now comes back. And he gets a one, two, three inning. He's made this long journey after four years. Uh, and just to see the emotion coming out of him, it was just really heartwarming. And there's so many, there's so many lessons about perseverance uh, and, and uh, probably about fear. How many nights did he lie awake going, right. is this ever going to happen for me again? Just a really cool story. If you didn't see it, I'd encourage you to YouTube it. Go online and check it out. His name is Aaron Barrett. Uh, but I don't know if you saw the clip of it or if this is the first you did of it. Curious your thoughts on it. Well, it may come as a surprise, but it's actually it's actually a little difficult for me to fully relate to a superstar athlete um, <laughs> for maybe obvious reasons. But the uh, the fact that he hasn't pitched a major league game since August fifth, two thousand fifteen. Yep. I don't know that I really appreciate what like four years of rehabilitation actually requires. To, to pitch at that level, by the way, is like a feat that most people don't ever accomplish yes. once, right? Especially not after that yep. kind of setback. And I think the things that I'm always amazed by when it comes to stories like this, like I was ta- I was talking a couple weeks ago about that that uh, documentary I watched where the guy ran 50 Ironmans in 50 states That's in 50 right. days. Yeah, yeah, where you're yeah. just like looking at the human will mm. and the human body and you're like, how? How are you able to – like I imagine – Countless times in those four years, he was like, forget this. I'm done. I'm going to become an accountant. Or, <laughs> you know, like I'm done with whatever. Like that's all the like we're we're talking about this story because of, you know, what we saw in the public eye. Yes. But it's all sorts of like private dedication, I imagine, and therapy and regimens that he I imagine there was plenty of times where he's like, this isn't worth this is never yep. going to happen. Yep. And I think stories like this are so inspiring to me because it shows just what people are capable of. Mm. And to, I mean, he mentions it, you know, even in that clip that. You know, it was his family and his faith. Yeah. I think how many people have the confidence to say, yeah, I mean, without, without those two things, I don't think I'd be here. I just think, I think it's really inspiring. Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, it's not just about coming back and throwing a baseball again. He had to come back to the point where right. he could beat the best of the best. Right. Uh, and how many days. And then I think you walk to that mound going, is my arm going to snap again? I mean, it, it was. That's got to be terrifying. His, I don't want to be too gross, but his initial injury was so gruesome to the people who were there because it happened while pitching in a major league game. That one of his teammates in the dugout literally just threw up, they said. Oh, no kidding. It was that gruesome. (laughs) And so now you've got to get past that mental hurdle. Right. And, um, yeah, there's something about the human will, though, that you said uh, encourages us to persevere and keep going. Uh, You said, you know, we're not – it's hard to relate to to an athlete, but – it's like if you were to lose your voice, yeah, right? Yeah. If the doctor was like, hey, too much talking out of you and, and you've lost your voice. Well, right. now, now you're back. Now you can do it. And you're like, can I? Yeah, right. right? Like right. there's that doubt and fear. How do you think is the best way if someone comes to you and is like, hey, pastor, like I just have all these doubts and fears in my life. I, I'm, I'm just really crippled by fear. What are some things you tell them to kind of encourage them past that? Like, uh, uh, yeah, how, how do we deal with doubt and fear and kind of persevere through that? Well, I'll often first say, don't dismiss your doubts. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the worst things we can do, especially when it comes to faith, is to say, ah, just sweep those under the rug. Yep, yep, just yep. just shove those feelings down. They'll go away eventually. Like, I, I almost always encourage people to really lean into them and to lean into them in the context of community, you know, and to let them know that doubt isn't 
in my opinion, something you just cure. Mm. Like, oh, I used to be someone who doubts and haven't since 86. I'm yeah. good to go now. Yeah. I, I think it's a regular part of a growing, thriving faith. I think that's part of it. You'll push up against some stuff. You'll learn some new things. You'll hear some new things. I think that's, I think that really is part of it. That's not to say, and I, I do need to add this caveat. I think one of the spiritual gifts is faith. Mm. So I think there really are people who are legitimately supernaturally equipped to say, Oh no, I just believe. Yeah. And I, and yeah. I think that's genuine. So I don't want to yeah. say if you're not doubting, it's not, there's not real depth to it. I really believe that God just gifts certain people to just have this, this unreal abilities. I know I just believe I believe wholeheartedly and completely. Mm. But for those of us who really grapple with that stuff, I think um, obviously talking about it in some cases, and I don't shy away from seeking professional help. I think all of that's really important. I think sometimes pastors do a disservice by trying to counsel people when they don't have counseling degrees and saying, and having, you know, the courage to say, Hey, this is a little above my pay grade. This needs mm. to be more than just us getting coffee once a quarter. I think you really need to talk to somebody. I think you really need to meet with somebody. But when it comes to just, you know, the the kinds of stuff that we all face, I doubt that I'm raising my kids right. I doubt that I'm being the kind of husband that I need to be, or I doubt, you know, whatever level that is, encourage people to lean into it yeah. and to be, to maybe not air all of it online all the time, but to find some trusted friends who, you know, will often say that love you, but will also tell you the truth, mm-hmm. you know, who will like be a place of comfort, but will also get in your face and let you know you have spinach in your teeth when you need to. Mm-hmm. And I think having that balance is uh, is really crucial. Yeah, I, I would love to know. I'm sure these stories will continue to come out. I would have to guess Aaron Barrett had people surrounding him through this. Uh, he said his family, but you wonder like coaches, uh, teammates. Right. Like, I think there's something about when we're facing the scary things of life, knowing a God is present, right? How many times in the Bible does he say, fear not for I'm with you. Uh, but, but having people around you who are like, Hey, keep going, yeah. keep going, keep going. I would have to think, uh, he probably had those dark moments where he's like, I'm never going to be able to throw a major league pitch again. And right. Like, Just keep going. Just, right. you know, you never know. Keep going, persevere. I think it's a great wonder, like how many people, like, can you sit back and think to yourself, oh, if I were in a bad spot, here are the three people in my life who would encourage me to persevere. I think that's really important. I mean, I I was just having this conversation literally yesterday with a friend, kind of recounting some of the steps of my life the last 15 years. I, with full confidence, could tell you I would not be anywhere near where I'm at if it wasn't for a couple of really key people who kind of pulled me up out of the ditch and was like, you need, you need to keep going. You need to keep putting one foot in front of the next. I am 100% the recipient of courage by proxy, yeah. courage by transference. That's good. People who it. like spoke life into me in ways, you know, in seasons where I didn't believe any of it myself. Well, it's a cool story. We'd encourage you to go uh, online, look up Aaron Barrett. You'll see it. it uh, it'll bring you to tears if you need a happy story. So, uh, but it also challenges us to persevere and surround ourselves with people who will help us take mm-hmm. courage mm-hmm. Uh, and persevere. Well, you're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, Twitter at Common Good Talk. 
online, 1160hope.com. Where else can they find us? Uh, at the corner of... <laughs> no. <Nope. laughs> I do not stand at corners. That's not what I've been told. I saw your soapbox. <laughs> you, no, no, car- you carry it around with you. Just a bullhorn and a soapbox in the corner. Just not at a corner, though. I'll be more in between the streets. <laughs> oh, you're more of a mid-blocker. Okay, yes. I get it. Oh, I don't know what that what just happened there. You can find us on our podcast, wherever it is you find your podcasts. And uh, we're grateful to have you joining us today. Well, we're both pastors. We've said this over and over and over again. Uh, Ad nauseum. Uh-huh. I'm at Four Corners Community Church in Darien. What? I, I am still there. Wow. Still, as far as I know. You still have a job there? As far as I know. It's not what Scott told me. <laughs> <laughs> Ian, Ian is at Community Christian Church in Naperville. We think <laughs> it's not what Scott told me. <laughs> Scott's really invested. Scott's just firing us all the time. Here. <laughs> and uh, yeah. And so as pastors, we've got uh, a lot of thoughts and about churches in general, but also uh, just about the pastoral field. It, like this is what we've given our lives to. Uh, and so when we read stories like this, they tend to kind of bring out a lot of uh, not just opinion, but emotion at Christianity today. Uh, just the other day on September the 5th, uh, they ran a story uh, entitled this, uh, Tulian Tavigian is back, so is scrutiny about his past infidelity. Okay, hold on. How can you say his name so effortlessly? Because we've but, said it a lot. But you, stum- <laughs> you stumble on ChristianityToday.com every time. <laughs> I, it's a, a gift. Amazing. It's you read that name so well. Sorry, I just had to say something. Yeah, so if you don't know who he is, Tulian Tavigian, he God, is... You're now you're just rubbing it in my face. He is the... Uh, <laughs> he is... Uh, Often, usually the first word in his bio is that he is the grandson of Billy Graham. Uh, he is one of the grandsons of Billy Graham, and he was the pastor of a very famous church called Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, uh, until 2015. Uh, he's written lots of books, lots of pastors. He's one of these kind of guys on the speaking circuit. Uh, and so in 2015, he acknowledged that he cheated on his wife, and the couple divorced, Uh a year later, he had taken an administrative job at Willow Creek Presbyterian Church in Winter Springs, Florida. We should highlight here that is not, I believe, tied to Willow Creek up here. Right. Uh, after leaders there became aware of another uh, earlier uh, uh, sexual misconduct uh, with a parishioner. And that's where this story begins to turn. It's a really interesting story because they, uh, to, keep to, to end it, Tulian has kind of gone away, but he's continued to write. He's continued to speak. Uh and now he is starting his own church again. And so we've seen this with people, whether it be Mark Driscoll or others who kind of go away and then kind of come back, not uh, in some sort of secondary role, but like I'm starting a church again. Uh, and so the, the the thrust of this article is not even should he be able to start a church again? Is he qualified uh, to be a pastor and start a church, not even based on his first infidelity infidelity and divorce, but this is really getting at it from his second infidelity. And here's the difference that this article raises is that that was uh, with a congregant. Mm-hmm. And in this age of the Me Too movement and kind of uh, there, there's a misplaced power structure there, right? Between the pastor and a congregant. Uh, does that does that even go further and, and disqualify him all the more? Uh, so it's a, it's an ugly story. It's a weird story. Um, it's kind of like a mm, just an uncomfortable story. Uh, 
But when you hear Tulian Tavidjian is going to start a church, they're launching a church, and it's all about grace, right? I've been at the depths, and now I'm being restored, and I'm that. Those are the people I'm trying to reach. What are your thoughts as you read this story? I don't love it. <laughs> I didn't think you would. <laughs> uh, you didn't? No. Uh, I'm a big fan of grace. Big fan of forgiveness. Yep. That does not mean that people need to be restored to their prior roles of leadership, yeah. especially in the church. Now, I realize that a lot of my position on this is colored by what I've seen in local churches, what I've experienced in churches that I've worked at. So I, I do need to own that. Um, but let me just read. I think there's some articulation here that's really helpful. So, um, so Trillian, he declined to interview with Religion News Services. But he said... Uh, in a prior interview, I don't care what role a person has. A consensual relationship between two adults is not abuse. So he told that to the, the Palm Beach Post in August. He goes on to say, and some of these people will try to make the case that, well, because you're in a position of authority, it's abuse. And I'll go, okay, I can see how that has been and can be used by people in all positions. But that just was not true for me. I was not abusing my authoritative role to try and find women. Mm. Um, and that, to me, is so nearsighted. Yeah. I don't know that... As someone who, by the way, was the pastor of a pretty sizable church. That's Huge not, church. that's a big deal yep. when it comes to the power dynamics and how people interpret them. And it just feels naive. So here's some of the responses. Um, uh, Wade Mullen, assistant professor and director of the Master of Divinity program at Capitol Seminary, said, when a pastor has committed clergy sexual misconduct, that pastor and the congregation should remove a consideration of restoration to the pulpit or any position of power entirely goes on to say Mullen, who studied the ways evangelical organizations manage the aftermath of sexual misconduct, said returning a pastor to the pulpit after an affair with a, con- a congregant minimizes the gravity of the abuse mm-hmm. and puts other people in harm's way. Full stop. Amen. Clap back. I yes. just think that's so spot on. And it's crazy to me that this is even a discussion. Am I saying he's disqualified himself from ever writing a book? Nope. No. From being a part of a staff even somewhere. Go for it. The lead guy in my opinion, no, it's, yeah. it is, it's just, it's too important that we protect people that we're mindful of the communities that we've been entrusted with. I just, it bums me out that this is still such a divided topic. Yeah. And, and again, I'm bringing all my own experience into this, but I just, I think, I think we can do better. And the weird dynamic here is he and some of these other guys are getting second, third, fourth chances because they wrote the books and had huge churches and were on the speaking circuit. There's this weird celebrity dynamic in, in evangelical Christianity that that is like, well, we it's, you've said it before, right? Like, well, we kind of go past things when we go, he's a dynamic speaker or she's a great leader. So they get a pass, exactly. right? Exactly. Right. One of the interesting, most interesting things about this story that I find just fascinating is that there's another clergy abuse expert who appears to have his doubts about Tulian. Uh, and he runs a organization called Godly Response to Abuse in the Christian Environment, or known as Grace. Uh, he said this, adult clergy abuse is when a ministry leader uses his position to identify, groom, and engage in consensual sexual contact with someone in his congregation or under his influence. There are no exceptions to this kind of dehumanizing, objectifying, exploitation, and betrayal. The director of that organization is Tulian's older brother, yeah. Boz Chavidjian, who we've had on this show before. We have. Basically holding, saying, I'm probably hopefully saying, I love my brother, but no, this is not uh-huh. good. This is, he's not understanding the dynamic here. Uh, and man, I don't know. I Tulian says this later in the article. He says, the Christian community is the only recovery institution in society that does not want former junkies leading the way. That creates a massive disconnect between leadership and the people in the church. 
I don't think that's true. That's so dangerous. It's not like, a good justification. It's the old, hey, find your biggest sinners because they're going to attract more sinners. That's that's not what leadership looks like. There's, It's really hard. And, and But but on face value, when you read that, you're like, yeah, yeah, we're broken. We're hospital. But no, there's something about that that's just terribly misguided. And we, uh, yeah, we got to do better about the abuse of power and yep. to be more mindful. And I don't know if he's actually naive or if he's, I don't think if so. he's spinning this like, oh, I don't. No, I don't think there's any power dynamic at play here. I actually really like what uh, Reverend Marie Fortune, a minister in the United Church of Christ, who founded Faith Trust Institute in 1977, said, she said, it's simply not appropriate under any circumstance for pastors or doctors or therapists or any of us in the helping professions to take advantage of our role in relation to people we serve. Mm. Which, again, maybe Tulian would say, I totally agree with that, but I'm healed and I've moved on. And I didn't and, do that. Uh, yep. and, right. And I just think uh, I think. We have to do better and we have to hold people to account. I think I'd love to talk to a pastor or two who have fallen uh, morally or powerful or in power ways and who've come back much more humble, but not even to the pulpit. Like I've yeah, taken a right. secondary role. I'm always so impressed by those people. Like that's like Agreed. the fruit of true repentance that I see. I think Agreed. that would be interesting. Well, coming up next, there's a weird story floating around uh, about uh, a woman named Jackie Hill Perry and some controversy she's getting from. Uh, some of the, the the conferences she's speaking at and uh, the kind of this weird culture we have uh, around that. So we're going to talk about that next here on The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian From PJ back there, our producer, was just waving frantically at me, and I didn't know if I did something wrong or... You know why? This oh. is a song by a band that you should know. Oh, so without even looking at him, you knew that this was Modest Mouse. I, was that what he was waving for? Is I don't he know, but he was on? waving frantically when the music was on, and I thought I did something wrong. Is that is that what? No, he's still not talking to us. He's just making <laughs> just a lot of hand motions. I'm so excited. Uh, is I that why, why, though? Was I right in my I guess? There's a cycle of these bumps, and I'm like, it's got it's coming. It's coming. Oh, I'm happy okay. that it's because you're driving. I wish you would have Did you know that I, uh, I played bass in the cycle of these bumps? <laughs> <laughs> I can't tell you how many times they use that joke now, and no one ever thinks it's funny as much as you and I think well, it's funny. Well, that's the problem. If you keep laughing, I'm going to keep doing it. It's not even that funny. <laughs> the first time, I think it was to my wife or someone else, and I was just like, I played bass, and they're like, well, you're like also because I'm the least musical person. Like you play what? And I'm like no, it's a joke. Yeah. Oh, okay, never you get mind. like sulky. And you're like Ian would have laughed. Yeah. I think it's the irony <laughs> my, of the joke. My radio wife would have loved that. <laughs> Wait a minute, hold. We did not talk about this. I am uncomfortable. <laughs> anyway, that was Modest Mouse bringing well, us back. Well done, well done, John. You do know that just by like anytime you guys ask me who. Sings, sings this or plays this, I'm just going to guess them every time. Yeah, but you didn't actually know it was them when the music was just playing, had he not. No. It's such a I'd easily like, recognizable tune. We all float on okay. Wow. Yeah, thanks for that, John. Uh, John. My goodness. That's a very, very You do know song. we're on the air right I'm, now, right? Unprovoked. My goodness. Uh, that's funny. Anyway, well, anytime you wave, you could try this next segment. It could be a whole new person and wave. I'll be like, oh, Modest Mouse bringing us back again. Thank you. You might need to see a doctor. Do you feel like that's a group I should know? Well, yeah, you should just in general. But like, it's only that tune. It's the same song every time. That, But it's not like I've ever been listening to the radio. No, but you've heard that clip. Uh, Granted. (laughs) Granted. For the last nine months. Yes. Yes. I do understand that. Well, you can find us on Facebook, Common Good Radio Show, uh, Twitter at Common uh, at Common Good Talk. Uh, so there's this story, Jackie Hill Perry, and the uh, Christianity Today headline just says this, Jackie Hill Perry, after Bethel controversy, 
I don't agree with everyone I do ministry with. Uh, so talk to us a little bit about this story out of Christianity. I did it again. Yeah, out of Christianity today. <laughs> yeah, let me just let me just read some of it. It says, uh, a year ago this week, Jackie Hill Perry released her first book, Gay Girl, Good God. In her writing and speaking, Perry has shared her insights on faith and her testimony as a former lesbian in evangelical spaces like the Gospel Coalition, Desiring God, and the Southern Baptist Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission and faced some backlash. But a different kind of controversy arose when she participated in a recent conference for Propel Women, a ministry founded by Christine Kane alongside mm-hmm. Pentecostal leaders, including those from Bethel Music. You remember Bethel Music? Yes. <laughs> I think we tackled this yes. a couple of weeks ago. As a result... Perry has been forced to defend, explain, and clarify her position on working with those from other theological traditions, including some who ascribe to, quote, false teachings. Her affiliation with the women at the Propel event uh, also lost her an an upcoming speaking slot. In late August, Perry was on the lineup for Propel's Activate 2019 conference in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, alongside Kane, Lisa Harper, Sarah Jakes Roberts, and others with musicians from Bethel Music Leading Worship. She posted a video to her Instagram stories with Jen Johnston, co-founder of Bethel Music and worship pastor at Bethel Church in Redding, California. Perry and Johnson were laughing heads together as Perry praised Johnson as a friend and a woman with, quote, all the Holy Spirit. That was enough for her to start hearing from followers. As CT reported in a 2016 cover story, critics of Bethel often take issue with the church's belief in the continued work of apostles and prophets, a tenant of the new apostolic reformation movement, as well as claims of healings and other miracles. Others on the lineup come out of the world of faith or prosperity gospel movement, which many Christians, including Perry herself have decried as a harmful distortion of the gospel. She responded to the whole thing on Instagram, sharing a picture of her post with the whole propel lineup. She says, you might see me on platforms with reform folk one day and non-reform folk. The next, you might see me laughing it up with the Southern Baptist one moment and being churchy with some Kojic, what's that? Uh-huh. Church of God in Christ, saints the next. Why? Because I believe that God's church is big and multifaceted and it's made up of people that are complicated and nuanced. So mm. that's a lot to say. People are really upset that she's choosing certain affiliations that I think the opposition wouldn't say is just theologically nuanced, but maybe in their opinion, She's aligning herself with people that are perpetuating things that are harmful, hence the backlash. Yeah, and uh, very interesting because it really was flying around social media. And it raises a question as to um, what are our, how, how close-knit or how, how uh, defined are our tribes, right? Like I'm a, a X, Y, and Z and therefore will not interact with people outside of that. In fact, I'll lob grenades at the other people. Or is the umbrella of Christianity much bigger than that? And while you and I might disagree about some things, we can still share a stage or share a conversation. Um, I guess I'm wondering, uh, you've been invited to more stages than I have. <laughs> I'm curious, uh, is this something that goes through your mind at all? Like, do What's the response going to be if I'm with these people? Or if you are invited in the future to more places, is this type of thing something you're like, oh, I guess I really have to think that through? Or you're like, nope, I'm going to just deal with that backlash and, and have conversations with, you know, an Anglican and a Pentecostal and somebody whose theology I might totally disagree with and whatever else. Yeah, we uh, we had John Armstrong on the show last week, right? And so John is um, in a lot of ways and has for decades led the charge of what he calls missional ecumenism. And that's something that before I even had words for her, 
I've felt deeply about. Mm. Like we there's far too many things that divide us, and I think there should be distinctions. I think some people should prefer organs to drums and should prefer a yeah. different flavor or taste or approach. I I I appreciate that even, but I think if if I really want to be an ecumenist, I can't then also say I will only share stages with people and denominations that I completely 100% align with. Mm. Because here's the secret. There's stuff that I probably aligned with 15 years ago that isn't necessarily true of me today. And I think there's got to be, I imagine, some parameters to that. But for me, and this is just me, there are few of them. There's not a lot of them. So I imagine, you know, if it was a... If it was an organization or a movement or a denomination, you know, let's say it was some fringe denomination that was like pretty actively hateful, I would have a hard time like accepting that. But then there's another part of my brain, though, that goes, all right, well, maybe maybe I'll have an opportunity to make a difference, though. Yeah, like that's kind of that's kind of where my heart goes. Like, all right, they know me, but they're inviting me into this space. Maybe this is a chance actually to to build a bridge, to speak some truth to a situation that I find really toxic. I don't know. To me, the potential impact of like face-to-face interactions, even with people I passionately disagree with, to me is an opportunity uh, that's I I want to almost always take people up on. Yeah. Uh, so I can't imagine a whole lot of places where I, because of a moral conviction, I would say no. Yeah, it's an interesting thought, uh, conversation because I mean it happened on Twitter this weekend. Jonathan Merritt, uh, a, a writer, pretty progressive Christian, was going after some people because they have articles and blogs at the at uh, the Gospel Coalition, uh, not about things that he considers objectionable, but because there's other objectionable stuff to him on the Gospel Coalition's website. And uh, the question is, like, does, you know, how do you wrestle with that? It's, in this article, it talks about Francis Chan. He faced similar pushback after he was pictured with Benny Hinn and Todd White at a conference. He had to clarify that he doesn't align with all fellow speakers at ministry events, but will take the opportunities to reach the crowds with a true Orthodox gospel. It's very interesting. We just live in a culture of polarization politically and all such where you have to be with your tribe. And I think theologically that because that's going to be a bit of a minefield that I think you either have to be able to take the arrows or you have to say, nope, I'm going to play this really conservatively, uh, quote unquote, and just stay with my people. Well, and she she goes on to say, I don't agree with everybody I do ministry with, which yeah. I thought was a given. Yeah, right? Like I would think so. Francis Chan faced similar backlash. He was seen in a photo with Todd White and Benny Hinn and yeah. like had to actually respond like, hey. Nobody, nobody who ever uh, read or heard Francis Chan's going, oh, he's the prosperity all, gospel. <laughs> right. Not at all. And that's where, I, that's where I get a little frustrated because we, it's like we want to fight and we want to. Now, I'm not saying that there maybe shouldn't have been in some of these cases from the people that are being criticized a more forthright um, disavowing or standing up against things that are. It's not because sometimes it's like, oh, we disagree theologically on this. It's another thing if it's like, no, your theology is harming people. Yep. I do think. If someone's theology is harming, some celebrity's theology is harming people, and if someone else is like arm around, like with my best bud, I could, un- I completely understand why people would be upset about yep. that. Perry, to close this, she makes a really good distinction. I hear, I think she says she sees a difference between false teachers, those who willingly deceive others while living ungodly lives, and false teaching, which comes from a well-meaning but misinformed believer. And that's kind of her. What she says is her bar. Mm-hmm. She'll go with people that she thinks are. Has some false teaching and dialogue with them, but people who are false teachers, uh, mm. I think she sounds like she's going to avoid. So uh, it's very interesting. Uh, we'd love to know your thoughts. You can talk to us a little bit at Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. We'll come up next. 
Uh, <laughs> big right turn. Uh, we're going to talk about clowns and oh, what creeps no. us out about clowns. Coming up next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Well, that's not nice, John. I mean, we're about um, to talk about creepiness of clowns. I'm already there. creeped out. Jeez, I mean, well done, well played over there, well played. <sighs> but uh, there are people changing as changing their <laughs> stations as quickly as possible. Swerving right now. over the road, right? <laughs> no. Anyway, that voice here is Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. You're listening to the Common Good here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Uh, CNN uh wrote in you know it is out right now or is it it's chapter two which by the way mm-hmm. every time the commercial comes on uh i have to pause it and make my kids hide their eyes <laughs> you're a good dad oh no no it's my wife yelling pause it pause it <laughs> oh you're just still executing you're i'm just... like what oh i don't even see what's on because <laughs> usually at this age they uh... still you know they go to bed and they still especially my younger two like that creepy clown will get into their mind a little bit. And so uh, with uh, it being out and other things, uh, CNN wrote this article, has this article out entitled this, Why Clowns Like Pennywise from It Chapter 2 Give Us the Creeps. So this whole concept about people being creeped out by clowns. So let's start right there. Are you creeped out by clowns? What are your general thoughts about clowns? Not a big fan. Okay. Nope. Be- Why? Don't know. Uh, has this always been the case? If you were a little kid and there was a nice, cl- like a like a normal looking clown at a birthday party, were you just think scared? about where a normal looking clown? Well, now was... it, this article gets into it, but now we've started going like creepy clown, whether right. it be the Joker, right. Batman, or it, or whatever. I like the birthday party clown was nah. that still like I I never trust anyone with that much white makeup on. That's clowns. That's mimes. That's I mean, Blue Man Group, they're up to some shady stuff. I don't, <laughs> what are you hiding under all that makeup? I so don't you know. have a problem with mimes. Oh, it's not a problem. It's not, I'm not going to go pick a fight with a mime or something. I just... Would they actually punch you or would it be like well, this? They wouldn't make a noise. It'd be. <laughs> they can't get out of that box anyway, though. They're stuck. Uh, they're, they're stuck, stuck in the box. <laughs> so this whole concept of clowns, and the article goes on. I would encourage you to read it at CNN.com. But it starts by talking about where did this kind of uh, a brief history of when when clowns became creepy and it talks about wait uh, hold on i just want to know why you picked this story first off because clowns clowns this whole genre does creep me oh out. it does okay and you're like let's talk about what creeps and, me out and i'm going to pastorally turn this i'm going to turn this this is going to be like a this is like a sermon illustration my friend i'm just going to leave this I'm just is gonna it. Leave. i'm going to turn this you're going to see some pastoral gymnastics here at the end i'm just going to keep talking so you don't have time to do that <laughs> <laughs> There's an old thing that pastors can make anything into a point. I'm going to prove that at the end of this. No, one. there's How's a thing that, that every pastor thinks they can turn into a point. <laughs> I could do it. I that's do way it. more the thing. <laughs> oh, that's funny. So it's this whole thing about when the clowns become creepy, and they've always been creepy to a sense. But John Wayne Gacy, uh, and then you've got you know Batman with the Joker, uh, and. Uh, in 2016, there was literally something in Florida and South Carolina called the creepy clown scare. And uh, and so it g- keeps going. Uh, but this article then does something interesting. It talks about the nature of creepiness. What creeps us out? Right. Essentially, what is it? What are the things that give us that uh, feeling of being creeped out? It says psychology can help explain why clowns, the, survi- the supposed purveyors of jokes and pranks, often end up sending chills down our spines. My research was the first empirical study of creepiness, and I had a hunch that feeling creeped out might have something to do with ambiguity about not really being sure how to react to a person or situation. 
Pause there for a second. It's your whole white makeup thing, right? Yep. This person is saying, I have done studies that say you are correct. <laughs> that when people are hiding behind a facade, that uh-huh. that creeps them out. Do you feel good about that? You surprised by that? I'm not. I mean, think about any, you know, bank robbing heist you've seen in a the movie. They're always wearing masks. And I think that's meant, obviously, to hide their identity. But it doesn't matter the mask, though, does it? Mm-mm. Any depiction you've seen of someone wearing a mask is creepy. It could be a bunch of Reagan masks. It could be clown masks. It doesn't matter. There is something innate, I think, that says, wait a minute. That's not actually who you are. There's, yeah. there's something creepy about that. Yep. She goes on the right, or this author goes on the right. Uh, the results of the study indicate that people who per- we perceive as creepy are much more likely to be males than females. That unpredictability is an important component of creepiness and that unusual patterns of eye contact and other nonverbal behavior set off our creepiness detectors big time. Unusual or strange physical characteristics such as bulging eyes, a peculiar smile or inordinately long fingers did not in and of themselves cause us to perceive someone as creepy. Uh, But the presence of weird physical traits can amplify any other creepy tendencies uh, then she goes on to say, when we asked people to rate the creepiness of different occupations, the one that rose to the top of the creep list was, you guessed it, clowns. Uh-huh. The results were consistent with my theory that getting creeped out is a response to the ambiguity of threat and that it is only when we are confronted with uncertainty about threat that we get the chills. So you were right. <laughs> You're right about this. See? I mean, I wasn't really making like a deeply researched observation and just is. Do you know there is? Uh, do you know the word for the fear of clowns? Uh, yeah. Oh, you just looked it up. I saw no, it no, no, I just know it. Okay, go for it. Colrophobia. Right. Is that right? I just. I, w- I watched. She looked down at the paper, though. <laughs> That's what you think. I'm just making creepy eye contact. <laughs> he. The what you guys that, don't know is Brian's actually dressed as a clown right now for the segment every Monday. Every, every Monday, right? Uh, Rami Nader, a Canadian psychologist who studies colrophobia. Uh, or colrophobia. I, I don't coolrophobia. It's not like it's like the like the hip phobia all the kids are doing right now. What's the cool phobia? Fear of clowns. Uh, it's the irrational fear of clowns. Nader believes that clown phobias are fueled by the fact that clowns wear makeup and disguises that hide their true identities in feel and feelings. This is perfectly consistent uh, with this person's hypothesis that it is the inherent ambiguity surrounding clowns that make them creepy. Uh, and so, uh, you ready for my pastoral point? Oh, we're already going there? No, no, go ahead. Here, you make one more comment on this, and then I'm going to make I'm going to make it. What I find interesting about clowns is that the idea of clowns and clowning, you know, goes back as late as, like, ancient Egypt, when, you know, we had court jesters, and their, yeah. their whole purpose was to kind of poke fun at power, right? And then, I guess, at least the article asserts that Shakespeare was sort of the first to actually coin the word, oh, is that right? describing foolish characters in several of his plays. So, like, you think of even, like, Ronald McDonald, who we don't see a whole lot of anymore. That's a good point. I hadn't thought of that. But, like, when we were kids, which was not that long ago, oh, oh, he, he was, was everywhere. He was front and center, right? Like, there was an acceptability of him being the mascot. And that's certainly after the John Wayne Gacy days. So it wasn't like, hey, Gacy changed the that's game. I mean, he certainly did in a lot of ways. But, like, Ronald McDonald was thriving in the 80s and 90s, wasn't he? And now he's sort of like, anytime I see a Ronald McDonald like statue or something somewhere, I'm like, that is very strange. And it that's makes fascinating. me fascinating. So I, I'm curious why even that in the last maybe 10 or 15 years, we've seen this massive migration away from even the trust of clowns when, you know, 20, 30 years ago, I was like, oh, yeah, kids parties. That's totally normal. It was interesting. My kids watched, they'll have to watch shows on the Disney Channel. And there was one the other day where this guy was, 
uh, you know, this high school kid was interested in this uh, college kid was interested in this college girl, whatever. It's this funny thing called uh, what show is it? Good luck, Charlie. Okay. And uh, it totally turned when he found out she was in clown school and she came dressed up as a clown and he went nuts. Like it wasn't like, oh, she's a clown. It was like, oh, <laughs> so can I just read you? This is beautiful writing at the end of here. Let yeah, me do it. There are certainly other types of people who creep us out. Taxidermists and undertakers made a good showing on the creepy occupation spectrum, but they have their work cut out for them if they aspire to the level of creepiness that we automatically attribute to clowns. You ready for the last line? Mm -hmm. In other words, they have big shoes to fill. (laughs) Boom. (laughs) Take a bow, per the writer of this article. Take a bow. Nameless writer we don't know. Oh, we do. Frank T. McAndrew of uh, Cornelia H. Dudley, professor of psychology at Knox College in Illinois. And so can I just say this one one real fast? Yeah. Uh, I've actually, uh, there are uh, good connections, I think, to those of us in our Christian faith uh, who pretend all the time to be happy and pretend to be, uh, I once gave a chapel message at Wheaton Academy and I, my entire message, so this is not a new thing, was to quit being a clown. So I talked about chorophobia and all this stuff. And I just said, this is what we do as Christians. We pretend that everything's okay. And we put uh, fake smiles on our faces. And I think it creeps people out because they're like, how can that person always be happy? Right. When you're crumbling in the inside, Jesus had things to say about this, right? You're like a whitewashed tomb. Uh, I think Jesus, it would have been funny in our day to be like, you're like a clown, (laughs) you know? (laughs) And so, uh, uh, you know, there, there is something about inauthenticity and just this kind of pretending everything's okay. Uh, that we do that is equally as crazy and and cringeworthy and creepy as what clowns do. Is there stuff in the Christian life, though, that you think Christians should embrace, that looking different in this regard, responding differently to crisis or tragedy actually is part of what it means to follow Jesus? I do, I do, and I don't, uh, but I think, I think my point is here, there's a, it comes genuinely, right? What's the genuine feeling going on? And we've dealt with, we've probably done it ourselves. The people who just go through life faking it because they know I'm supposed to look this way as a Christian. I'm supposed yeah. to have my life all together. And, and that just will kill you. It yeah. will kill you. And I guess to close this, it, that's creepy, folks. That's creepy. It'll kill you just like a clown. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to remember, they have big shoes to fill. Like, that is gold. <laughs> Welcome to the cool Yep. Speaking of creepy, it's that time of the show where we climb into John and Keith's head. He's giving a very creepy smile right now, actually. He is. Jeez, Louise. <clears throat> where we, uh, we do crazy stuff from the internet. <laughs> Interweb insanity, Brian. Thank you. I was just trying to think of what it was. We need to put a sign up on our we window. We do that has crazy that. stuff. Crazy, creepy internet stories. Oh, gosh. Ian and I don't know what they are, but we are going to find out with you. We're excited to do that here on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. <laughs> Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. <clears throat> Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. That music can only mean one thing. Wow, that was such a good dramatic pause. One thing. And that is that it is time for Interweb Insanity. Crazy stories from the internet. But before we get to those stories, Greg Laurie, you're aware of Greg Laurie? Mm -hmm. He has written a new spiritual biography of Johnny Cash. Download a free preview now at 1160hope.com, keyword cash. That's super exciting. Are you excited about that? I would, yeah. I, would I like think that. it'd be a cool book. Totally. I'd be, uh, do you like Johnny Cash? I, I actually really do like Johnny Cash. I think you do. I just watched a documentary. <laughs> That's true. That's awesome. I can't help it, man. That's awesome. I have awesome. a problem. Okay, can I give one shout out real quick before we dive in? So uh, Brandon Leonard, who is this brilliant kid from uh, 
my last church, Poplar Creek Church, loves dinosaurs. His mom wrote me saying how disappointed he was that I totally butchered the pronunciation of a particular dinosaur yes. during this segment on Friday, I believe it was. And the correct pronunciation, Brandon Leonard said, is plesiosaur. So that uh, that remember my, what we called it or what you called it? I'm sure I'm sure I wasn't even close. Yeah, I remember that. I'm sure you remember how bad it was. Well, I remember you being like, "Is that a plesiosaur?" Like you, <laughs> you went at it with like some. No, nope. it's plesiosaur. I'm uh, offering the correction and giving a huge shout out to Brandon Leonard. Thanks for listening, Brandon. He knows more about dinosaurs than maybe any person I know. That's awesome. Why don't you go first with our internet insanity? Here we go. Out of Pennsylvania, a couple charged after spending more than a hundred thousand dollars the bank accidentally <laughs> gave them. A couple in Pennsylvania is facing theft charges and more than $100,000 in overdraft fees after allegedly using the money that was accidentally deposited into their bank account. Investigators say Robert and Tiffany Williams had $120,000 deposited into their account at BB&T on May 31st through a mistake by a teller. How does that happen? But instead of contacting the bank about the deposit, the couple allegedly spent the next... The next two and a half weeks using most of the money. I would have done that. Of course you would. I would have done that. We know you would have. Neighbors were stunned. This is kind of shocking, neighbor Nate Weaver said. With all the procedures the banks have set up, checking and double checking and triple checking, there's no way anybody gets away with this stuff. State police say the couple bought an SUV, two four-wheelers, a camper, and a car trailer. (laughs) I would not have done that. (laughs) A police report said they used the money on bills, car repairs, cash purchases, and even gave $15,000 to friends in need of money. Money, money, money. (laughs) Money! Ohio, spraying alcohol for bedbugs plus cigarette equals house fire. Hmm. A house was extensively damaged by a fire early Friday after a man tried to light a cigarette after spraying a nightstand with alcohol to kill bedbugs. Uh, Fire officials said six people were in the home and everyone escaped. Uh, They said the homeowner was trying to eliminate bedbugs using isopropyl alcohol in a pump sprayer in the bedroom. We've all done it. At the end of this process, he attempted to light a cigarette and the bedroom caught fire. Man, do I feel dumb. (laughs) (laughs) That was a good drop. All right, Michigan, America's high five. Mom buys iPhone from online seller, ends up with two bars of soap. Oh, no. Samantha Powell is a Michigan mom who says she was just trying to buy her daughter an iPhone when she ended up getting scammed. A few weeks ago, Powell said she made a deal with a, quote, seller on the app LetGo. They communicated it on the app and agreed on a price of $450. Powell says she had saved money for six months in order to buy her daughter an iPhone before school started. She agreed to meet the seller at an apartment complex in Allen Park. Not a great start. She had gone there with her husband, but they exchanged the money in the iPhone box. Paula says the seller took off running. Her husband opened the box and found no iPhone, just two bars of soap. Okay, it's $500. You have no choice of carrier. The battery can't hold a charge, and the reception isn't very... Shut up and take my money! (laughs) That's good. That's a Futurama, I think. Okay, there's a lot about that story that... Like, that lady got scammed, like, so eventually... Like, I feel badly for her, but she made about 10 missteps there. Like, I'm going to buy this from you, but I'm going to hand you the money before opening the box? You're heartless, Brian. No, I'm not. I'm still saying she's the victim. But there are a couple things she could have done to protect herself here. Yeah, she was... Okay, you're not wrong. Okay, thank you. Pennsylvania, Duo's getaway car breaks down in driveway of home they burglarize. Hmm. State police in Clearfield County are looking for a man and a woman who they say tried to burglarize a house and left their car in the alleged victim's driveway after it wouldn't start when they tried to get away. Troopers say they were called August 31st to a home on Grocer Road uh, in Jordan Township to respond to a burglary. They say Jeffrey Pope and Janelle Brink were removing items from the home when they were interrupted by the alleged victim's mother. 
The two then tried to leave in their car, but it wouldn't start, so they called another person to pick them up. <laughs> Troopers said they had the duo's car towed back to the Clearfield Barracks for evidence. Anyone who knows where Pope and Brink are should call the police. Oh, yeah, that can happen. Oh, yeah, that can happen. That would actually be really terrifying. All right, last but not least, Massachusetts, the Bay Staters. Uh, pilot discovers skunk on board mid-flight. What a nightmare. What started out as a normal day of flying for seasonal Katama resident and recreational pilot Dylan Newell soon turned into a strange and stinky situation after he found a skunk hiding in the rear of his plane. Newell said he had just taken off from Katama Airfield and was beginning to travel to Martha's Vineyard Airport to do some touch-and-go training when he noticed what smelled like a skunk in the cockpit. About 1,200 feet, Newell began to prepare for landing. When the smell started to grow stronger, I couldn't imagine there's a skunk on the ground. At first, I was rather confused. As Newell got closer to the runway, the smell continued to intensify. He radioed the tower at the airport and told them he suspected a skunk was stowed away aboard his aircraft. When I told them I thought there was a skunk on the plane, they really got a kick out of it. Get off my plane. <laughs> that was a good one. In fact, that's good. Well, I feel like we're all over the place today, but a pretty effective Monday. Pretty effective. Pretty effective. The common good. We're pretty effective. <laughs> it's better than the B minus I gave us a few weeks That's ago. That's true, yeah. Someone else should write our reviews. Somebody else. It's the one four-star review on, uh, it's from me. But anyway, for you at Sipkins, my name is Brian Fromm. You've been listening to The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.